Hi, I'm Mario Guerra, the two-time former mayor of the great city of Downey, and I'm here with my co-host, Eric Pierce, the editor of the Downey Patriot. And we're here today talking Downey with Mario and Eric. And as we've been doing the last week, we've been ha going through and having a series of conversations with the candidates for the 64th Assembly District. It's a newly redrawn district uh, that uh, incorporates uh, the city of Downey, the city of Cudahy, the city of Bell, the city of La Habra, the city... We're going to lose a couple. We're going to lose a couple on there, but you can give us on there. And we're here today uh, with one of the candidates. She's the mayor of the city of Cudahy, and her name is Elizabeth Alcantar. Alcantar? Alcantar. Alcantar. Uh, and we're here uh, to have discussions about the uh, herself, about why or not you should vote for her, and a little bit of uh, to tell themselves a little bit about who the candidates are, so you can have an informed decision on who you're voting for. And Eric, I know you had a disclaimer you always put out. I do. I do. <laughs> I, I do like to mention that uh, every candidate has been invited to to appear on on our show. Uh, we're grateful that five have accepted. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth. Can I call you Elizabeth? Yeah, okay. of course. Thank you for, for being here. Uh, no, because we just want people to make informed decisions and to uh, to vote for, for the person they feel is the right person for, for our district. Mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth, uh, for people who may not be familiar familiar with you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Elizabeth Alcantar. I currently serve as a mayor for the city of Cudahy and have served now for the second time as mayor for the city. Um, have served on the city council now for four years, but before that served on the planning commission for five years. And um, just in that whole time have been doing organizing work around labor, environmental justice, education mm -hmm. issues. I, I like to say I didn't get my start in politics because I wanted to get into politics. I started organizing around first-generation students getting into college and realizing that it was difficult for me. Attended a council meeting because of that and stuck around. Great, great. Yeah. So, Elizabeth, so tell us a little bit about where your thoughts are, where the state of California is today. What, what, would, what would you say or what are your thoughts on that? All right, I think there's a, a tale of many Californians. It depends on who you talk to. Um, some folks are doing really well for themselves. They're, they're uh, you know, persevering through the pandemic. They got to work from home. They're still mm -hmm. healthy. They didn't lose loved ones or, or colleagues or neighbors. Okay. And then there's others of us that lost colleagues, neighbors, have been very fortunate ourselves, but maybe around us it was a, a difficult time. And then there's many that lost loved ones, that lost their home, that lost um, their jobs and so much. And so I think that at this point in time, there's, there's a tale of multiple Californians. And um, so for me, it's really tough to say there's one definitive answer, but I think that there is a huge opportunity in California, and that's where we should be looking forward to. And, and we have a huge opportunity in this district specifically, seeing that there is an incumbent, it's an open race. Um, there's a plethora of ideas in different candidates, and so I think that this is where we really get to you know, push, push the envelope. This uh, district is very diverse from, from Downey and Bell all the way east to uh, La Morada. Uh, different demographics. What do you think is the biggest issue facing this new district? Right, and, and you're right. So when you talk to folks in Bell, they are very different from the folks in La Habra, La Mirada, in South Whittier, which is part of the district as well, right? And so I think people think that the issues are going to vary widely, but when you get down to the actual nitty gritty, you see mm -hmm. that the issues are very similar. Folks want to talk about pollution. 
Folks want to talk about the environment. They want to talk about industry and how it affects them, but also how the jobs that, that come or go when industry comes or goes. Right? And so I think that those, that's one of the big issues. Um, I think when it comes to education, that's a big issue as well. And uh, do our students have enough support in their schools, whether it's their local school district or going up to college and seeing that you know our students are going to college, they got the right grades, they participated in everything that they could, but they get to college and it's $40,000. And that's for a public university, right? Um, not even considering uh, private. So I think that, that those two issues are huge for us, environment, um, education, jobs. Um, and of course housing. Mm -hmm. Housing is the biggest issue that we're talking to folks about. It's um, multifaceted. It's not just for renters, not just for people that have mortgages and homeowners, um, but it's also for folks that are experiencing homelessness and that need uh, more resources, more support around the housing sphere. Um, so there's a plethora of issues, I would say, uh, but all these issues hit on every part of the district, whether you are old or young, whether you have you know, a nice savings account or you don't, renter or homeowner, uh, whether you're a teacher or you're a student, um, these issues really hit home for a lot of folks. Absolutely. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about housing before the show, the, the show started. Um, and I think, what, Cudahy, I remember reading once, it's in a one square mile, it's one of the most congested places in the country or something like that from, from a resident standpoint. And I know it's a built out city. Same thing with Downey, we're a built out city, if you will. How would you do, how would you um, promote housing in a built-out community, especially in Southeast LA County, which were mostly built out? Right, um, great question. So in Cudahy, Maywood, Bell, and Maywood's outside of the district, but it's a very similar city to ours, right? Um, we're a very, very dense community. We're more dense than many boroughs in New York. And a lot of people think of New York as this like uh, bastion of density and housing, um, but in Southeast Los Angeles, we're even more so dense than them. Um, and I always say dense, but not by design, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that we're designing, you know, beautiful uh, multi-unit uh, buildings like the one we talked about earlier, but we're talking about one single family home that is housing two, three, sometimes four families. Mm -hmm. And so that creates density without design. What we should be looking to is creating affordable housing opportunities so that we're building density by design versus forcing folks into homes because they can't afford one of their own, which is what happens. Um, I know growing up, it, I grew up in the same place for 20 plus years, and out of the five duplexes on the lot, um, we were the only ones, or well, yeah, we were the only ones actually that didn't have someone living in their garage. Um, and that was because of the, of the affordability crisis. Sure. And so for me, it's about building by design dense communities that are welcome communities. I think that's the other thing. In Southeast uh, LA, we have such a welcoming community. Folks want to talk to each other. You walk by, buenos dias, buenas tardes, you know? Um, so folks aren't adverse to other people. It's just, we're not doing it by design. And so that means our cities aren't built for that density either. I was a refugee and I was one of those when we first got here to this country. <coughs> Excuse me. It was 12 of us in a one bedroom apartment on Miles Avenue in Huntington Park. And I'd go by and take my kids there once in a while and say, look, this, this is what, you know, where we started at. So I, I completely understand that. I, I, my family, too, we were yeah. crammed in the little, you know, my parents immigrated yeah. from Mexico. We were crammed, me and my two brothers and my parents in a small little one-bedroom little apartment. And what's funny, though, is when you're, I think you're at, when you're at that age, you don't realize how small it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when you are when you get older, you realize, how do we even manage It's that? like going back to elementary school. You're yeah. like, really? I really went to Huntington. Yeah, the same I, thing, right. I think about it. You know, my parents came here, and similar story, but in Torrance, it was before they had my, myself and my brothers. And I have my own apartment now, and 
you know, I remember one of the things that I showed my mom was, oh my gosh, I have an AC, right? I don't have a, a fan. Because um, growing up, it, we didn't have an AC. And that was one of those pieces where it's like, you made it. Um, and it's just my small little apartment, humble yeah. apartment. But it was a big deal for our family because yeah. It's, yeah. it's different. Elizabeth, uh, speaking of housing, uh, rent control, is that something that you support? Um, yes, I do support rent control. I'm the only renter on the ballot for AD64. And I say yes and because I don't think it's the only solution. I think we should be building housing and as we build more housing, it should become more affordable for our communities. Um, as a renter my whole life, I know that there's stories from landlords, but there's also stories for renters. And so we have to build in those protections um, so that we have, we have a fair chance for ourselves as well. And we have to talk about that imbalance of power and what that looks like in our communities um, because we should have accountability but we should also have protection. And that means for the, you know, one of my commissioners who's a landlord as well, she has four units, and she's supportive of rent control too because she knows and she acknowledges that she treats her tenants fairly, she, she talks to them about, you know, raising rents, etc. but she also knows that and acknowledges that not all landlords are like her, right? And so I think that that's part of it. Um, but I think a lot of our cities talk about local control when it comes to developing of housing, but they don't talk about local control when it comes to rent control. And we have things like Costa Hawkins, which precede any sort of rent control. Um, and that means that there is a lack of local control there too, um, which I'd like to bring up to folks as well. Don't we have, with the state, we have a 5% now, right? percent plus. plus. Plus the cost of living right. and so forth. Because I own some units in Huntington Park. And unfortunately, I hadn't increased them in five years. When rent crow come in, I had to have that conversation with my tenants and say, I'm going to have to increase it 5% every year because you're going to need a new roof in 10 years, you know, six years. Mm -hmm. and so I, I kind of, I was one of like your landlord, like your planning commissioner out there. I was one of those good uh, landlords, if you will, but then you kind of fall behind because you didn't increase it for so many years. So that was a, a situation out there that, you know, you look at and you're like, ah, I'm not sure. I don't know if that helps because I wasn't increasing it. So you can make that argument both ways. I, right. I was definitely and, and, and I think that that's where we talk about perspective, right? Yeah. And, and for yourself, I think you, you speak to yeah. how you weren't raising the rent and yeah. so then that put you in a pickle. Right. Um, right. But for myself, for example, as I mentioned, I'm a renter of my whole life, I should yeah. say. Um, in the rental unit that we rented for 20 plus years, um, the landlord was an absent landlord, absentee. Mm -hmm. Anytime we needed something fixing, what happened to my parents? Like, oh, don't tell him in Spanish, of course. Yeah. Don't tell him because he's going to raise the rent. Right. Um, yeah. And it might have been something small, it might have been something large, but right. it, would, it would raise the rent. Right. Um, and then what happened, it, he ended up uh, saying that my parents didn't pay rent for all of 2012. Yeah. Um, he said this in 2017, which is untrue. He would have yeah. evicted us, I would right. think. Um, and that turned into him saying my parents now had to pay, instead of the $1,600 rent, had to pay $2,100 rent. Um, my parents felt like they had no protection. And we tried to seek legal assistance, yeah. but because the laws are so loose in that regard, yeah. they didn't have any, any sort of right. support. And so that's what the stories that I also look to. And sure. like, how do we find that balance that actually supports our renters um, while also you know, supports folks like you. The other thing that I want to bring up is that a lot of the folks that are becoming landlords now are, are not small mom and pop landlords. A lot of them are large developers. Um, and we're seeing this across the country where it's larger corporations buying up these, these plots of land. And that means that there's less opportunity for people like me, for people like my parents, for people like your children and grandchildren um, to buy their own property one day because now they're competing against this, you know, large developer, large corporation. And so that's what the other piece of, of the side of things that I think mm -hmm. that 
when we're fighting for the little guys, we're fighting for all of the little guys. Right. Well, that, that is, I, no, it is an issue because, you know, I, I'm also a, a realtor and that, that is one issue where you have these developers buying properties with all cash and you yep. just, you just you can't compete with it. Um, I have another question, kind of moving on from housing. Mm -hmm. that's okay. Sure, yeah. Um, so, so the governor recently uh, proposed his, his budget and it looks like, I think the number is like $95 billion surplus yep. that California has. What's your thought on the surplus? Um, and if you had to say, what, what do you think that should, should happen with that money? Right, it's a huge deal, um, right? And and so I was trying to do my research, like where does this money come from, right? Because $95 billion is a lot of From you and me. <laughs> no, exactly, but but where, where does it come from? Did it come from some of the stimulus money? Did it come from these sorts of, like what taxes, what um, what brought about this money specifically and, and what, what funneled it in? And so I think that when it comes down to like, how do we spend it? We should be spending it on community infrastructure. And when I say community infrastructure, I don't just mean roads and bridges i also mean things like supporting our schools our schools are lacking they don't have supplies they don't have staffing they don't have just so many things um our cities we don't have staffing we don't have training we don't have the support we need and what does that translate to that means that our people our community members do not have that support as someone that has been in city government for for a while now i i understand just how much like especially our small cities are crunching the numbers mm -hmm. to figure out where they get either food distribution money mm -hmm. or painting a mural or any of these sorts of things when it comes to COVID is testing and vaccination clinics and things like that right and so we should be allocating that funding right back into community yeah. um into building out infrastructure that's supportive of our community and I think that goes into schools I think that goes into for example our IHSS workers they are working for very, very little money for many, many hours, and that means that our communities don't get quality care. Our seniors that are at home that need someone to take care of them don't have someone taking care of them, mm -hmm. right? Things like that, and that also means funding things like a greener economy. Um, that means funding things like electric cars for our low-income communities, because things like electric vehicles and tax credits come after you purchase the car, which means people like, I say people like my parents is the example mm -hmm. I would just give, cannot afford that on the front end. That means they don't engage. That means they are the ones paying the higher gas tax, right? Mm -hmm. Versus the folks that can, that can afford the electric car. Right. Now you, and, and you just mentioned that. And what is your position on the gas tax, for example? I mean, um, you know, it, it, it impacts the uh, lower socioeconomic folks a lot more, obviously, proportionately than, than others. Uh, so where, what's your position on the gas tax? And right now you have the legislator, legislators not fighting, they're disagreeing with the governor on how to give, you know, rebates back to regarding the gas. What are your thoughts on that? Right. Yeah, so so in terms of the gas tax specifically, I, I wouldn't be interested in repealing it. Um, but that goes back to my previous answer. I think that repealing a gas tax isn't going to be the answer for our communities. I think that what we should be looking to is funding actual programs for our communities that gets them away from uh, from oil, from gas, and puts them into vehicles that, that supports them in the future because whether we like it or not, that's where we're going. We already know that the new vehicles that are going to be sold in a few years from now are going to be electric. So what does that mean? We have to be transitioning our communities over. Um, that means that we should be funding it. Not just saying, you have to do this, Californians, or else you're not going to be ready, but actually funding it for low-income Californians, and that includes community people in our communities here. So what um, would you say to that, to the folks that, that say, look, we understand that and we want a better future 
but right now we just you know, we got to pay gasoline, right. we got inflation, we got all this high cost of living. How do we survive here? And that's what I was going to say. It's not just the gas tax; yeah. it's inflation overall. It's the cost of goods. It's the cost of things that we buy at the store that pe has people hurting. And so when it comes down to the money that we're talking about, right? Four hundred dollars is one of the I would say major right. ideas. One of the ones, yeah. I think um, the governor mentioned. Four hundred dollars yeah. per vehicle that doesn't reach everyone. That doesn't reach our communities that are most impacted by inflation. Because the reality is that the people that are, you know, have the least amount of money, have the least amount of, um, I would say, just goods, valued goods, mm -hmm. probably don't have a car. They're probably taking a bicycle to work. And so they would not get that $400 rebate. No, they get it if they own a car. I think that's the governor's exactly. thing. So, exactly. You know, yeah. and, and that's what I'm, uh, what I'm speaking to yeah. is that inflation as a whole right. is what's affecting us. Right. It's not just the gas tax. And I think that when it comes to our government, our state government, we should be looking at the larger picture. Elizabeth, um, open-ended question. What do you think makes you the best candidate? Absolutely. I think what makes me the best candidate is that um, I have energy. I have the, the, the background in community organizing. I have the knowledge on the dais. I don't just lead from sitting on top of a dais and doing policy work. I lead from the ground and acknowledging that, that there's lived experiences in the community that should affect how we do policy. And, and that's how I lead. I lead in a very, um, you know, not just a one-sided approach. I, I lead with our community. And I think that that's what's really set me apart in this race. I think that that's exactly why I have received so much support. It's that it's the energy, it's the track record. I have a proven track record and I'm one of the few, if, if not the only candidate that has a track record of doing regional advocacy, specifically around environmental justice work, around things like labor. Um, you know, we talk about we always call it the Vernon smell, right? <laughs> there's that, there's that, that smell that comes over from some of the rendering plants, and that's been an issue for decades, for as long as I can remember. I'm 28, going to be turning 29, and we know that that smell has always existed. Um, but what, what can we do about it? What have we or have we not done about it? And that's some of the work that I've been leading. When it came down to Delta, that was a huge regional issue as well, and that's something that I led on. And I think that when we talk about someone that's going to cover from Bell, Bell Gardens, Cudahy, all the way out to La Habra, La Mirada, we need someone that takes a regional approach. So, so talking about some of your um, initiatives, and I, we looked up at your website and so forth, so we, we kind of uh, made ourselves prepared a little bit. So you're... Um, it's you called know, research. Research. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, you're the editor of our paper, so you have to do it's a lot more thing. than that. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a couple of issues, uh, universal health care, uh, tuition-free college. So I guess the question is, how would you propose we pay for that? I know we have a surplus right now because, you know, for, for various reasons, as you mentioned. Um, but how would you pay for these big things? Because, you know, universal health care, that's, you know, I don't know, $400 billion a year or something like that. So Absolutely. That? Great question. Mm -hmm. um, and, and everything takes money. Everything in our government takes money, whether it's small dollars or, or larger dollars. However, when it comes to things like, to, for example, universal health care and ensuring that every Californian has access to health care and can uh, have free quality health care, it means that we're also taking off um, money from money that would be spent in the future. Californians that are unhealthy because they're unable to get health care access, whether it's dental care or mental health or physical health. That's where we get to get folks in the front end. And so that's one thing. We, we, studies have shown that we are better off even financially if we start funding health care programs for folks. So that's one thing. I think the other piece is that we should be having some, some folks pay their fair share. Um, as, as people that buy homes, 
we pay a certain amount of taxes on property taxes. Not, not we because I, I'm a renter, but other folks, right? And when we talk about corporations and how long they hold on to land, they are not paying their fair share because it's been so long in the tax roll. And, and so, you know, that's where we start to look at getting actual funding from our communities. It doesn't mean that, that you, as someone that just bought a home, are going to see increased property taxes, but it does mean, for example, you know, a large corporation will see that because they should be paying their fair share. How about, um, how would you answer, so my, my kids went to college, um, they all had skin in the game, they took student loans, all mom and dad took out student Same loans here. too. Uh, uh, two of my kids are still paying for their student loans. So what would you say to them where, you know, they've been paying for five or six years and, you know, um, you know the reducing the debt or, or tuition free or waiving the past uh, uh, student loans out there? What would you say to them out there? Right. And, and again, probably one of them very do. common question. Yeah. I, I also have student debt. Right. Um, I went into student debt because I went off to, to college right. and realized it was a lot more expensive than I thought. Yeah, tuition and books add up. Yeah. Um, but part of it is also acknowledging that me wanting better for you doesn't mean it's worse off for me. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a very much a community approach that we have to look at. Um, when it comes down to issues like universal health care, frankly, me wanting that for our community at large isn't hurting me um, and isn't necessarily technically benefiting me directly. I have health care. I've been very right. fortunate in my whole life. My dad had a union job growing up, and so because of him, I had health care my entire life vision care, dental care, physical health, et cetera, mental health. And once I got my own job, I have all that as well. And so me saying that I want everyone else to have it doesn't mean that I won't have it. It means our right. community as a whole is a better place. Right. And that translates to tuition-free college as well. And making sure, yes, I didn't have tuition-free college despite me going to a public university, but that doesn't mean that I don't want that for other people. Um, I think there's a very popular saying, it's, it's not me. It's, it's about us, and, and that's where I, I come in and where my vision that. is. So, so I spent last week at PIH Downey. I was in the hospital last week, and like you, I have good health care, uh, good health insurance and so forth. Thank goodness I had great treatment. Yeah. Uh, but the, how would you answer those that saying, okay, I won't be able to get the same health care you know, I wouldn't be able to choose PIH and choose my doctor and so forth with universal care. care. It's like, I, I want you to have better, but I don't want you to take mine away. How would you right. answer that? And, and that's a very valid concern, <laughs> absolutely. I think part of that is it's going to take a lot of conversation. And that's why I say that when I always say my my job here, not only as a policymaker, but it's I'm an organizer by heart and trade. It's my work but it's also what I care about. And that part of that is having community dialogue. How are we going to get there? Because we're not going to flip a switch, pass a law, sign a bill, and yeah. say that tomorrow it's going to happen. I think there so, was a law that was passed. It just wasn't funded, right? We, right. we passed it a couple of years ago. And, and so, and so for us, it's, it's like, where are we actually going to get and how are we going to get there? That also means, again, it means quality healthcare for everyone. And how do we cover everyone? When we start talking about uh, healthcare across the board, we start talking about um, prescription drugs that are more affordable for everyone, which is a huge deal. I, I can't, I can't count how many people I know go down to, to Tijuana to get either it's, insulin it's, or, it's or something. A, it, we're having this conversation. It's it's unbelievably ridiculously expensive. My son is a type one diabetic. He's been at this since yeah. he was twelve years old. So at the beginning of the year, before we meet our deductibles in the for the insulin, he's twenty two years old right now, right. and it's like six thousand dollars in January. 
it's like, so who can afford this? I mean, we're blessed and we saved and everything else because we've always known that we're going to have to be paying for But it's it's crazy. And I said, how does somebody, another, uh, I shouldn't say another family, how do they afford that that can't afford that? I mean, we can't afford it, but we have to. Um, so that's the scary part. I mean, just on insulin, which he needs to live as a type 1 diabetic. Right. And, and that's exactly why it goes back to it's not about me, it's the we. And, and how do we make sure that we take care of each other? Uh, frankly, uh, I know that I'm, I'm very progressive, and I, so I think that a lot of conservatives um, see my platform and they may not agree. But I think I have also have a lot of Republican supporters because they recognize that it's it's not just the, the me, it's the we. And, and going to that sort of thinking and talking about the actual issues that matter. It's not just saying healthcare as a whole, but like let's get down to the nitty gritty. It's about the insulin. My mom is a type 2 diabetic. When she switched jobs, that meant that her insulin was going to go for $12 to $280. And so we started having the conversation. Well, I have a passport. I guess I can drive down to Tijuana every every you know few weeks. We shouldn't have to do that. We exactly. shouldn't have to do that. We live yeah. in the United States, which should yeah. be yeah. taking care of its people. Yeah. These are uh, you know conversations that are happening across the state, across the country, and uh, and we should be having these conversations because there's you know it's an impacting so many people. Elizabeth, we want to thank you for coming on our show. Uh, we want to give you an opportunity to give an outgoing message, uh, speak directly to the voters. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> First of all, thank you for having me. Um, voters, it's your opportunity to have the chance to elect someone new to the seat. Um, that means that it's going to be the person that takes care of you probably for the next decade or so, uh, which means we have to really look at the issues. I'm someone that decided to run because I care about our community. I'm someone that's authentically compassionate about our communities, whether it's Cudahy or Bell or Bell Gardens, Downey, or all the way over in La Habra, La Mirada, and Norwalk. And as I knock on doors, I get to meet lots of people. I hope to meet all of you as well, um, and I hope to earn your support as well as uh, your next assembly member. Well, we sure appreciate you coming in. I think uh, I think everybody learns having the dialogue and having the dialogue with you uh, today. So we really do appreciate you coming in. And we appreciate you being so, honest because yeah. I know there's there's many uh, politicians who don't share their platforms. You know, they're very ambiguous about it. Uh, so we want to thank you for being so open and accessible and being thank with you. us. And so our folks on there listening in and watching on there, we want to thank you for tuning in. I think you got to see a good representation of who she would be as your elected official. And I think now you're able to make an informed decision. Um, and, you know, we sure appreciate her coming in, just like we do all the other candidates. So, again, stay informed. Election's only a few weeks away. Uh, very important. Uh, no matter what you do, that you are informed of the candidate, the issues, who's going to represent us on there. And vote. And, and vote. vote. Yeah, absolutely. There's no excuse now. you got your ballots in the mail. It's easy to do. I still like voting in person. Yeah, me too. And I, I, know, I want my <laughs> sticker in my photo, okay? You know, but I think we got the sticker in the mail this time, too. Yeah. But anyways, folks, thank you for listening and tuning in. This is uh, Talking Downey with Mario. And Eric.